Good morning. As we celebrate and worship during this first Sunday of Lent, we're going to be looking at that passage of scripture that Martin just read from Matthew's gospel. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. There are situations that we all have experienced where you're with a close friend, someone who knows you very well, someone who's known you well for a long time, and you know is going to just be with you to the end. And you've got an open amount of time to talk and share and connect and renew your friendship and, and bring real deep updates And in those moments, you can be fully honest and real. I think for most of us, those relationships are few and far between. In most situations, I think, most whether it's because of the person or because of the amount of time that you have or because of the time for me, the time of day, um, you can't be fully honest and real all the time, right? Because you, you can't fully trust that you're safe to be fully real and honest in certain situations? Is this person going to really be able to exhibit compassion if I'm so honest? Or am I going to run up against uh, a vending machine of answers and solutions um, without compassion, without someone really seeing me and and being able to, to carry the thing that I'm carrying? Do they have any power to change the things that I'm going to bring up that are troubling me. Not that they have to, but it would be nice if they did, if they could help at all. Are they committed to help me carry this thing that I'm going to talk about for the long haul? Or is this more just like an informational conversation? So there are a lot of factors, if we're honest, that go into being real with people in any given situation. Matthew's writing this gospel for lots of reasons, but the primary reason is he wants to put Jesus out there for us. He wants you to be able to see Jesus the way Jesus is meant to be seen. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, Matthew writes this story and he puts these narratives together in a certain way in order for us to see different aspects of Jesus' character, who he is, what he's like. And chapter 8 and chapter 9 are this phenomenal, compact, rapid-fire display of Jesus interacting with hurting people, with mangled people, with isolated, lonely people, people who are in every way helpless, And he's doing this to press you and to press me, to press everyone in the world who will come under the hearing of this gospel and these two chapters in particular to a place of, can I trust this person? Can I be fully real with him? Can I be fully honest with him? Is Jesus safe? Is he a safe person for me to be completely open with? 
Matthew wants us to see Jesus in certain ways to persuade us and then to bring us to this place of decision. That's what we're going to see today. As we come to these two um, miracles, Jesus with the two blind men and then Jesus with the man who's unable to speak and, and unable to hear, these are the last two in a series of 10 miracles that are packed into these two chapters of Matthew's gospel. Last week, or not last week, but earlier this week, I guess it was last week, depending on when you say the week starts, on Wednesday, if you were here, uh, Aubrey started this series and, and he started it with this, uh, in the middle of these miracles, um, the middle end of these miracles with uh, Jesus being in a chamber with his disciples like a bridegroom and, and Jairus comes to Jesus and says, you've got to come and help. My daughter is dead. And Jesus rises from where he's um, laying or reclining. He rises and he follows this man to his house, this house of death. And as he takes hold of this girl's hand, she also rises um, back to life. And there was so much packed in there. We see Jesus as this bridegroom who's running his, his course um, like a powerful, victorious champion. And and as we complete this course of the sun running its, um, the length of from one end of the earth to the other, we hear again these echoes from Psalm 19, verses four through six, which reads, in the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a victorious champion runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. There's no thing on earth. There's no person on earth, as we'll see in this part of Matthew's gospel, that's hidden from the light and life and warmth of Jesus. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 again says, But you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So Matthew shows us Jesus following a course set by the Father. Jesus rises in the morning and he runs his course till evening. And just as a sundial or a clock has marks on it that help us to follow the progression of the sun throughout the day. Matthew takes these 10 miracles and in this short amount of time, he uses these 10 miracles to show Jesus going over every single square inch of his creation and every single part of it, he's shining his, his life and his light and that he sees everything. As we think about all these 10 things together, the question to us is, what can he not see? What, what agony, what mangled condition can Jesus not see? And what can he not heal? Is there anything hidden from the warmth and life of this Jesus? If you've got your Bible open, you can flip to the beginning of chapter 8. And you'll see right after the Sermon on the Mount is over, immediately afterwards. There's a crowd of people there. 
right? The crowd is marveling at the authority of Jesus teaching, saying he's not like our scribes. He's, this guy is different the way he talks and the way he, he gets into our hearts with his words. So he's done this with his words. And now right after the sermon is over, in this crowd of people, a leper comes running up to Jesus. That's bad, right? If, you, uh, if you're from the ancient Near East and, and you've got ways to deal with leprosy, just like we had ways to deal with, uh, with COVID, this would be like someone who was running 104 fever in the midst of COVID um, without a mask on, like running into this room, like coughing and sneezing on everyone and like licking doorknobs, you know, and like coming and like taking the plate and doing stuff with the, the food and licking the rims of the cups. Like, no, you don't do that, dude. You've got COVID. And there's, there are places for you to be, like isolated at home. And same with this leper. This leper comes into this crowd and finds Jesus. This leper thinking, Jesus I, I believe Jesus will see me. And I believe Jesus will somehow have compassion on me. And I believe Jesus can do something about this. And so he flies to Jesus. Same with the centurion right after that. I've got people under my command. You've got people under your command. I know how this works. Uh, I believe that you can just from where you're standing right now say something toward the direction of my house and this thing's going to happen for my servant and she's going to be fine. And then Jesus goes to Peter's house and this whole parade of all kinds of malady people come to him. All kinds of mangled, cast away people. People with demons. People who are sick in all kinds of different ways. And he heals all of them. And then he gets into the boat and there's this great storm that rises up and he calms the storm such that the disciples, even just four miracles in of 10, the disciples are terrified. Who are they in the boat with? There's nowhere for us to go. We can't get away from this person. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then there's the demon-possessed men in the tombs. And then there's the paralytic who's lowered through the roof. And then there's the girl who has definitely died. And she's being mourned. And Jesus brings her to life. And there's the woman who's been bleeding and therefore isolated for 12 years. And now we come to these last two miracles, the two blind men and the mute man. Through all these, like, the zooming in on these 10 different scenarios, so diverse that, that again, have, help us to kind of ask the question, is there anything Jesus can't fix? Is there any pain that Jesus can't see? Is there anything that's going to rock Jesus back on his heels and say, I don't, I don't know if I can do anything about this. I wish I could. So Matthew is zooming in on these 10 things to show you and to show me that Jesus is safe. That we, if all these 10 people encounter Jesus this way, then maybe I can be fully real with him as well. Let's look at three ways that, that Jesus' character 
comes through just briefly in, in these 10 different scenarios. And particularly, we'll pull some of the language out of these last two miracles. First, we see Jesus' compassion. No one gets turned away from Jesus. He's 10 for 10 in these different scenarios. And in some cases, like in, at Peter's house, it's a whole bunch of people packed into one story. So it's, it's lots and lots of people. No one gets turned away. He takes his time to understand and to fully see and to comprehend every single scenario. He's not in a rush. He's that like really expensive specialist doctor that you, that you assume you're gonna go and see this doctor and you're gonna get whisked in. They're gonna do a quick assessment and whisk you out. This is like the doctor who's that, he or she is that really highly renowned doctor and, and sits you down in the office and you're just gonna have some coffee and you're gonna talk and he's taking his time with all of these people. He's ready to see you. He's ready to hear you. He's ready to have compassion. Deep compassion in God's economy is the only fitting response to a good shepherd seeing a sight of innocent, flayed sheep. And that's what Jesus sees. He looks out on the world and he sees mangled, cast away, flayed sheep. And his heart is moved deeply with compassion, as we'll see in more detail toward the end of this passage. So Jesus has compassion. He takes his time. He sees everything. He takes it in. And we'll see that more clearly later as well. He also is powerful. It's implied that Jesus is powerful as we zoom in on these 10. It's interesting that there are 10. It's implied that maybe this is a recapitulation of the 10 plagues in Egypt. Remember in Egypt, before the Exodus, there were these 10 plagues and the, the plagues represented the gods of Egypt. And so in a way, it was like Yahweh who had just introduced himself as Yahweh. Um, and he kind of gets into this cage match with all these different gods of Egypt and just kind of like beckoning them in one at a time and defeating them all, right, without a scratch. And to demonstrate his utter power over the universe and over all these other gods and so that the whole world would know that Yahweh is the God. So this... This, that's implied here. It's interesting that there are 10, and it's interesting that the 10 represent all these different kinds of maladies. There's not repetition within these, except for at Peter's house, which um, pulls a lot of different things together. But if you look again at chapter 9, verse 27, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. Literally, have a heart for us, son of David. They're shouting it, two people. Toward the end of the day, probably a lot of people following Jesus, probably back to Peter's house. And this 
title is being screamed. Now, it's maybe worn down on us in terms of like the, the impact of this particular phrase. It hasn't been used yet in Matthew's gospel except way back at the beginning in private when, um, when Jesus was being introduced by angels and stuff. But it hasn't been like paraded out for everybody. So these two men are screaming out that Jesus is the son of David. This is a powerful term. David is this warrior king. And as we heard read in 2 Samuel, God made a promise through Nathan to David that he's going to establish David's throne and his kingdom forever by a son. And so Israel's been leaning forward. Well, it wasn't Solomon. He came and went. And then soon after that, the kingdom got divided in two and people got sent every which way through exiles. And it, we've just been kind of languishing here. We're back home, but now the Romans are here. And when the son of David comes, this warrior king, he's going to vanquish our enemies the way that David vanquished the Philistines. Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And when the son of David comes, man, it's on. And we're going to have uh, peace again and shalom as he vanquishes every enemy. And this is not exactly what Jesus came to do, right? And so he goes inside and I'm not going to really deal with that title out there publicly right now. But you're not wrong. But it's not what you think. Jesus is this son of David, this warrior king who's vanquishing every single thing that comes at him. And we see it these, in these ten different illustrations as Matthew zooms in for us to show us indeed he is the son of David killing his ten thousands of the splinters and the compound fractures that occur in every single person that he encounters in this broken world. So we see his compassion, we see his power, but we also see this intimate, unfailing commitment of this perfect bridegroom. He's not just cruising through Israel, healing uh, diseases, and then just kind of moving on. It's not how it's depicted, that Jesus is this savior, that he heals human distress by assuming it. He heals human distress by himself becoming one who's mangled and cast away. He's entering into our mangled state and t not just listening to it or throwing a miracle at us from far away, but getting into our lives with us and taking our pain on himself to be the man of sorrows. Ultimately to be sacrificed as this one who is ultimately flayed and ultimately mangled and ultimately torn asunder, and ultimately cast away as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see these things about Jesus as Matthew portrays him in this particular way. We see that language in particular. In verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. His insides were churned for them because they were harassed and helpless or 
better interpreted, mangled and cast away like sheep without a shepherd. In closing, I'd like us to consider, as we started, with this quandary of different scenarios where we can be fully honest and real with humans and times when we can't. Matthew is pressing you, he's pressing me to come to this place of deep conviction. I believe Jesus can see me. I believe Jesus has compassion for me. And I believe that Jesus will take all of me into his own heart and carry me all the way home. Even if that means carrying me through his own cross. Even if that means carrying me into the grave and carrying me out again on the other side. I believe Jesus is like that. Not just for 10 scenarios in Israel that happened a long time ago. And so let's look at this audacious claim that this is also about you. Because Matthew recorded the narrative of Jesus interacting with all these people in this way, God is making this about you, especially in the way that he concludes it. See, Matthew zooms in on all these 10 scenarios so we can see them in really fine detail and we can see academically that Jesus can see everything, that Jesus does care in all these different situations and that Jesus is completely competent. But then, if you'll notice at the end, Matthew zooms way out so that Jesus sees the crowds this teeming, faceless mass, all these people, all of this humanity of mangled, castaway people, a crowd that all of us can find ourselves in. One commentator says, mangled and cast away. These two adjectives together suffice to depict a whole desolate landscape of slaughtered sheep, staining the earth with their blood, and the landscape outside the walls of Jerusalem on that first Good Friday afternoon. Jesus sees you, just as he saw everyone else. He sees you the way you really are, including the ways that you're wounded, including the ways that you're battered, but also he sees you and deeply loves you. Jesus' heart yearns for your safety and peace the way it did for all those other people, just as it did for those in the 10 stories. Matthew brings this section of 10 miracles together with two responses and these two responses are echoed a few times throughout his gospel. You see, if you go back to chapter nine, verse 33, this last miracle of the 10, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, 
he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Matthew puts these two responses in front of us. Now that you've seen all this, what do you think? There are two logical responses. Just like there were two logical responses to the birth of Jesus at the beginning of the story. You can come like the wise men and recognize this is the king of everything. And I'm going to get down on my face and lay open, lay everything bare before him. Which is the translation for what they did with their treasures. I'm just going to lay it all bare. And now after this, or you can be like Herod and say, this guy is going to threaten everything about me. And I want him eradicated from the earth. I want nothing to do with him. Same exact thing here. Now that you've seen what Jesus is like, his compassion and his power, and the fact that he wants to bind himself with you and carry you all the way home every step of your journey, what do you think? What are you going to do? Do you believe this? Do you believe this enough to lay your heart bare for him, to ask him for help? The crowd says, yes, they marvel. They see this as wonderful. Nothing like this has ever been seen. This is the son of David, finally. And the Pharisees say he's casting out demons by the prince of demons. It has to be one or the other. Here's the good news. If you're here this morning and you are uncertain, if you're here this morning and you're in a dark place or you're in an uncertain place, or you're just here because you saw the lights on and you walked in. You don't have to decide right now. Matthew's not putting this to us to try to close the deal very quickly. There's this really cool verse at the end of Acts chapter 6 or somewhere in the middle of Acts chapter 6 where Luke summarizes what's been happening in the gospel uh, and as the gospel progresses. And he says, and the gospel continued to go forward and flourish. And many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So even many of these people who at the time are saying, ah, he's just animated by Satan. That's how he's doing all this stuff. Even some of those people by the end end up believing in Jesus. So take your time. Even take the season of Lent is a great way to grab one of these Lenten devotional guides and pray and read some scriptures and keep coming. And asking, certainly keep reading the book of Matthew to see where it goes. But for all of us, I hope that these 10 miracles, the way that Matthew zooms in on them, but then zooms out to include you and then puts it to you with this binary, what do you think? Will you trust him? Will you lean on him? Will you ask him for help? May it be so for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.